You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest with here, guest here with us, uh, Trevor Ewan, and he's in the New York City, New Jersey metro area. He's uh, a software engineer. He invests in businesses, and he also put together a pretty helped put together a pretty large real estate transaction um, recently. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, he has a lot of different uh, software experience, and we're going to kind of talk about. Um, how that can apply to different types of businesses, including real estate companies. So I'm uh, really excited to hear about his background and how he kind of got started in everything, how he came up across real estate investments and also the technology uh, field that he's in. So thank you for coming on, Trevor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Really appreciate it as well. Great. So I guess take us back a little bit. Um, you know, you, uh, have a company called Southport Ventures. Can you kind of talk about that um, on the technology side and, you know, how that kind of led into some other diversification in, into real estate and um, some other ventures you're working on? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So I think it's worth going a little back to where I started my career and what the implications were at that time, because I think so many people are you know, they're formed by the, the situation in which they rise up in. And then that, that gives them an insight or maybe in some cases, a lack of insight or a lack of circumstance. For me, it was coming out of undergrad 2009, 2010, and just a terrible time uh, for work. And even then the U.S. technology industry wasn't really the behemoth that it is now. I mean, a lot of the big names were, they were already there and they were, they were doing a lot of great work at the time, but certainly software engineering was, I think at the time treated a bit more like a kind of generic IT job that was a little more specialized. So I was lucky to, to get anything, and I ended up moving out to the Northeast from Chicago to uh, get a job with a digital agency at that time. And as I was working in tech in New York, it was a very rising tide kind of situation. What was happening is the technology needs for every business were just growing by leaps and bounds. And meanwhile, the talent pool wasn't growing. So we were seeing more and more demand for our skills, more and more demand for what we could do, particularly as the startup world started heating up, there was just more and more competition for talent. And a lot of that was just a lucky thing for a guy in his early 20s who was just riding that wave a little bit. And I think it was around 2013, 2012, 2013, I started thinking about what was next in terms of taking some amount of money I had and doing something with that to diversify myself, get passive income. Uh, I've always had a good fondness for the people in my family and the people in my life who've owned buildings and just thought, hey, that seems like a really good way to do it. And you should own passive real estate. I did a lot of the research that led me away from, as some people do, away from New York City, to be honest, and just realizing this wasn't really the place to plant my flag. And as I started going towards the center of the country, I realized that there was a lot of post-crisis income opportunities there. And so we started our investment with a, a single family rental in Memphis, and then we just kept going from there. So we eventually moved into larger deals, syndications and private lending. And, and like a lot of people, we now do a mix of things. I think the biggest lesson though, was to stay passive for the most part, the, the, the deals we had where we were the most actively involved were the toughest ones and the ones we were most happy to get rid of when we sold them. 
because it's just not the kind of thing when you live up here and you got houses in other parts of the country that you want to you know, be dealing with figuring out the contractors and other things like that. So a lot of our approach has now been to, you know, to work with qualified partners and to find the right people to help us get into a market. And that has led me to current adventure that's been the 2021 and post-COVID adventure where my partner and I have formed Southport Ventures, which is now taking a lot of the same ideas that you know I learned in, in real estate and in that world and raising money to buy businesses and specifically buy software companies. So I think there's a lot of ways in which the two ping pong off each other. And there's a lot of lessons learned on either side. And I'm starting to view some of the software world as being more similar to real estate than people would uh, really think. Yeah. So when you mentioned software companies, is there any specific niche in the software companies? So obviously, you know, real estate investors are always looking at prop tech companies um, to obviously become a client of because the the industry is pretty fragmented. I think it has been fragmented and there hasn't been a lot of technology and it's been pretty old school. But over the past, I mean, just even over the past two years, I've seen so many different technological advances for the real estate industry. So are you looking to evaluate those types of companies or what companies are you looking for? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a, we have an active prop tech campaign right now uh, with the sponsored by one of our advisors too, which has been, it's been good. One thing I'll say is it's, it's well known to be a good sector. So as a result, the prices are high and, you know, the, we, we, we know similar dynamics in the real estate market, which is if everyone knows the, the market's already good, then it's probably, it's probably past its prime a little bit. Uh, I mean, we're still tapping on that door constantly because we'd like the, uh, you know, just the characteristics of prop tech, specifically the, the long lock-in you have with property providers and the fact that they want a really good solution that's going to be full force. And we also happen to know, like you, that a lot of investors who are successful, they're not just going to buy one project, they're going to keep doing it. And so if you could be the right vendor for them, you're going to grow with them. So it's got a lot of the dynamics we really like. We are a bit more sector agnostic although we only look at business to business software. So we're not looking at any kind of B2C products. We do want uh, business clients who are at least in some kind of growth zone. And if not that, at least there's uh, under, you know, underseized opportunity in the market. So a lot of the stuff we've looked at has been healthcare tech, laboratory management. Uh, we are looking at some food distribution software, believe it or not, there are some good opportunities there. Uh, property tech has obviously been one, like I said, we're running a campaign. We love internet of things. So that would be sensor devices, all kinds of uh, you know manufacturing processes use them, for instance. And there's there's a growing and vibrant need for that in the U.S. We like ag tech, uh, we like government tech. Longer sales cycle with that, but there's good lock in on the contracts. So those are some of the different things we've looked at. But we will uh, like I think a lot of good real estate investors, you know, you, you you survey the market, say just around the United States, and you say, well, if a market has a kind of characteristic I like, then I, I'm gonna it's going to pique my interest and I'm going to explore more and I'm going to try and develop local partners there. And I think it's the same kind of thing. When we see a software niche that we like, we'll bring it to our advisors and say, okay, what's our blind spots here? And, uh, and if, if we do like it, we'll go aggressively and start contacting owners. Yeah. Cause I was just going to ask you what kind of are the differences when you're evaluating a real estate opportunity versus a um, software venture. And, you know, you mentioned the stage where you're looking to invest in the company itself. So it's a little bit different, I think, than the income producing properties you were acquiring, sure. at least now, it seems to be a little bit more stabilized on the real estate. So are you looking for more high risk, um, you know, medium sized technology companies at this point? Yes. So it's, 
Well, it varies a bit, actually. The, this class of software is a bit more like real estate, where we are actually looking for profitable companies. You know, So there's a positive EBITDA here. There is that characteristic of stability. Most often, the kind of owner we want to talk to is not one who's just growth, 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 and I need more money. It's actually someone who's transitioning and wants to do something else, right? And there's a sweet spot before you get to the bigger private equity players where all of a sudden they'll just wipe you out on the prices they can pay for it. Uh, but we tend to find there's a lot of these more fledgling projects where a good entrepreneur has gotten it to a good place. Oftentimes they bootstrapped it or if they funded it, it's friends and family. And once again, has a lot of these similar real estate characteristics we like. And believe it or not, I mean, no one even thinks about this because it's not the same kind of collateral, but you can actually put debt on this kind of business. I mean, not the kind of debt you can put on real estate, but because you have that positive cash flow, that, uh, you know, that income statement that can attest to it over a number of years, uh, banks are more likely to give you debt. And another big thing we look at, uh, which is way less common in real estate lately, but used to be a bigger thing after the crisis is seller financing too. So oftentimes a business owner who knows that their business has some specific problems that you're going to deal with, they're more willing to finance it because they need to get it off their hands and uh, they're happy for the interest payment. So there's actually a lot of nice negotiation we can do on the terms there. And uh, you know the big differences would be you're going to see different growth numbers, right? So at a certain level, you know, building... You can maybe two exit, you can maybe three exit if you do a condo conversion or something really aggressive, but uh, a business, you could go a little, quite a bit farther than that, uh, especially if you have some kind of really aggressive growth plan for it. Uh, but the, then of course, the flip side is it's not the same kind of collateral, right? You know, that physical structure is always going to have some value, even if you run the management of the process into the ground, as opposed to us, you know, if we run into the ground, we are in the ground. I mean, literally, uh, there's, there's nothing left. And particularly with software businesses, they're very asset light, you know, so you don't have a lot of uh, value to reclaim at the end of it. IP is one, but even that doesn't have a ton. So, you know, we're, our investors are taking a very pure bet on us, not a bet on, you know, a mixed strategy where they at least own a building at the end of the day. And, you know, I think that's, that's the thing that one, we got offer a little higher returns than a typical real estate deal. And the, you know, the flip side is there is that, that growth prospect where if we can convince them on what is the strategy and even what's the bear case? Like, what's the case where it's kind of neutral and this business just runs? You know, you're still getting paid. You're still getting your dividends. You're not going to get your crazy exit, but uh, it's 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 somewhat compelling. And you know, in a world where everyone is looking for different kinds of ways to get yield and invest, you know, more and more people are going farther and farther down market. So we've had no no trouble finding interested uh, people. The biggest problem, uh, like in real estate, is sourcing. It's sourcing businesses and finding sellers willing to talk to us. Yeah, so I was just going to ask you about that and how it's different from the real estate industry in terms of sourcing your, you know, lead generation. Um, yeah. You know, because in the real estate industry, at least on the commercial side, we heavily re rely on the brokerage community. So is there a same community in the small business yeah. side? Yeah, so there's a business broker community that's uh, a lot more robust than I, I would have thought. Uh, so, you know, frankly, it was news to me when we started doing this. And the the biggest problem with broker deals is they... Uh, they tend to go for really high multiples, right? A lot of times the businesses that get to the brokers, they uh, have a very solid plan to sell and they, they make themselves look really good. And frankly, they just do a great job with their sale. Like I, I'm impressed by these sellers and I'd, I'd want to be in their shoes. I'd want to run the kind of competitive process they're running. You know, I mean, it's, it's probably the oldest old saw on this matter, but we don't really want to be in a competitive process. Like if we're in a competitive process, then we're probably going to pay the winner's curse, right? So, and this is, I would say it's maybe a little harder to do in real estate because real estate, at least today, is viewed as a bit more of a pure asset. 
Whereas some of these businesses, you have to have a specialized knowledge to get in there and, and deal with the specific problem, or you are the key to unlocking some kind of uh, specific problem in the team or the operation. And I think those are the talks where we've had, um, where I, I can't say anything about it right now because we're under NDA, but we're having some really good talks right now. And that is the dynamic of this company. They see us as a growth engine for them. And as a result, you know, it's not a pure buyout. We are buying out the majority stake and that's what we want to do. But, uh, but they see us as we can't get this to that next level if you guys aren't there. Right. And so I think that's the moment when uh, we know what we might have a good fit. And I think there are, there are cases with, with real estate like that, where maybe, you know, you've got the tenant management strategy or you know the right way to deal with the building codes in the specific zone that's just killing everybody else. Or I don't know. I mean, maybe you've got the edge of the materials, got a lot of supply chain problems right now. So there, there are edges you can have. I would say, I've noticed with this, it's even more so, right? Where they really think, oh, you have this unique skill set that actually is uh, relevant to this business. So that's that's the kind of talk we want to be in. Anything else is maybe interesting if there's a lot of hair on the deal and we can figure out a good way to structure it. But if once you get into a competitive process, you're going to pay so much for it. Uh, and then and the, the tide could turn on that. We could see some market cycles happening as it does in real estate. But right now we're seeing outrageous multiples for companies with, uh, especially in software with a million dollars of EBITDA or something like that. You know, we're seeing seven to nine X, which is just crazy. Um, and that's fine. I think they've proven their durability, particularly over the pandemic, you know, SaaS and software businesses just shot up, right? Hospitality is really the place to get a deal right now. So knowing that we try to stay out of competitive processes. Yeah. I was just going to ask you how, how competitive is it versus some of the real estate transactions? Because, you know, on some deals where it's marketed to a wide network, I mean, you might have maybe 20, 25 lookers yep. and not just lookers, bidders on the, on the property. So I'm very curious, you know, and, and like you said, it's for the business side, it's a little bit more niche. So you might have less people looking at it, even if it is marketed. So I'm just curious in real estate, we hear about off market all the time. Is that the yeah. case with the business as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, we probably the most competitive process we entered this year, and it was it was a good looking business. We liked it, For, particularly we loved the market that it served. Right, it was just this this great healthcare nursing home niche that was just going to be a super durable customer. I mean, low churn, which is a big metric we look at in the software space, especially in the SaaS space. And uh, it had been it's fascinating, fascinating deal because it was owned by a foundation, and they were just spinning it off because they wanted to focus more of the work on the foundation. But because they were a foundation. They had a lot of trust with a, it's like a network of, I think it was Catholic affiliated nursing homes in Michigan and a fascinating, very profitable, very awesome business. But there were 30 people at the table for that one. And we, you know, did our time to just sit there and, and, and get an idea of what it looked like. But at the end of the day, we realized we're not going to be even close to the upper end of the bids on this, right? A lot of our pitch to potential sellers is we're actually the right team to do whatever you need to do with this business. And, and for some of them, it's nostalgia, right? So uh, one of our, our best talks came to an owner who was truly at retirement age, but he wanted someone to take care of the company. And when he talked to private equity groups and some of the other people who we talked to before, he's like, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, these, these guys are bozos. They have no idea how to run a software business, right? And, and it's because they were, you know, just, they were not really in that industry. And he had developed a highly technical product that had a lot of patents and a lot of uh, proprietary information that needed to be understood by a decent engineering team. So that was a way where we developed trust because he had this 
purely non-financial thing where he wanted his company to live on and, and be influential in the industry as it had been. Uh, the other good example is you've got sellers who see something strategic with you. And we love that when they're willing to hold back equity, maybe do seller's note or something where they say, hey, without you, we don't grow this thing. That's a perfect situation because now we're actually fully aligned. Uh, Succession is a big one. You know, people who retire uh, every now and then you have the person where they have an issue in the business where a broker won't take the deal because it's you got to figure this out and they don't have the time or capacity to figure that out. So we can buy it. That's what I mean. A little hair on the deal. We can buy it with that and say, uh, you know, you got a serious, take me, you got a serious security problem in your code base, right? That's something I can deal with in a three to six month period, right? And so thinking about that, the kind of deal a broker wouldn't take, maybe a PE wouldn't look at, but we would actually take a look at because it uh, needs that extra dusting off. Yeah, d- definitely interesting and, and different from real estate. And, and also, you know, it, I was going to ask how many deals, how many businesses are you acquiring where the founders or whoever's left in the equity stake just wants out completely. But it sounds like the value that you're adding, some of those founders or members of the business want to stay on in some capacity, even if it's advisory, and have you guys kind of take it over um, with the expertise we, that you bring. We love them to hold back equity if they if they want to. Uh, we do try to make sure it's, it's not a majority, um, particularly if we're not aligned. We don't want them to have too much, right? So that's always a, a tricky situation when you realize how oh, this person could be meddlesome or, or tough to have on the board. In which case, you could you could give them like a five to ten percent or something. Just you know, thank you for for years of building a, a good business, but we want to take it in a different direction. Uh, the I, I can say you know without revealing too much, the the owners we're talking to now we're very aligned with them. Like our directional goals for the business are exactly the same. We just have a slightly different skill set and a little more focus on it. Uh, so they're the kind of people who we don't mind holding back a board seat or something like that and and, and being able to uh, be part of that growth with us. So like I said, that, that's a really good situation, but it doesn't come up every time. And you have to figure out what kind of rapport building you're doing. You know, you look at certain ones where the way in which the business is run is part of the reason it has failed to grow, right? And that's always a situation where you risk really offending the owner if he's still heavily involved, you know, like that you're kind of taking everything in a new direction and changing the professionalization of the business. Um, and, you know, the one, one we're looking at right now, what I like about it is the owners, their stated issue is they just lack the time and a couple of the skill sets needed to get it there. Right. So, uh, but there's no misalignment on how it's going. And so I think that's a good, that's a good version. And it's going to depend a lot on what people's, uh, you know, status in life is their age, health situations big. I mean, that, that is where it's come with real estate. You see older owners, you know, trying to exit. People have, you know, marriage and family changes that can also create an exit opportunity. Software, you see another thing that you probably don't see as much in real estate. You got a lot of these digital nomad types to just get tired of running a business. Uh, and they've got enough money and they want to just run off to Costa Rica for a couple of years. So that's another thing that we see that's uh, common enough. Yeah, you see a little bit of that in real estate, but not as common, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, this is awesome. How can my audience learn more about you, connect with you, find more about your platform? Because I'm sure people have a lot of questions. Yeah. So the one stop would be uh, check out trevoruin.com. So that's just my name.com. And it just got links to everything we're working on right now. So you can pick your poison on uh, what you want to learn more about. And uh, this whole this whole micro PE space has seen a lot of growth in the last few years. We're obviously a, a part of that, you know, having... Uh, just formed uh, early in 2021. But I think there's going to be 
it's not a one-to-one with real estate, but I think there's going to be a lot of crossover because the kind of characteristics uh, that, that draw people to real estate, I think will draw them to investing in really good, durable businesses, you know, which feels the same kind of like really good, durable income property investment. Excellent. I love the similarities, but some differences, but a lot of similarities, which uh, very curious to learn more about. So I'll definitely check out your website and your, you know, all the links that you have, and I will share them in the social media description as we post this podcast. And audience, if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That's how people like Trevor and myself get our message out to a greater audience. So we really appreciate that. And thank you again, Trevor, for your time. Thanks.